Good morning. This is Hillary Hamilton from Steve's 8th grade drama class 14 years ago, if you can believe it. And you're listening to Too Much Scrolling, and I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for June 6th, 2023. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hassenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Chip, I said June 6th. Welcome to summer, my friend. Well, not officially summer. Okay. Go on. It's summer break. You're like, get out of here with that non-summer stuff. (laughs) All the kids are out. They're swimming, Steve. (laughs) I I was running around town this weekend doing so many fun things. I saw so many of our friends at Star Wars Day in Joliet. Uh, Jake, who made the R2-D2, was there in the parade. I went over to John Streets and his Streets Alliance Art Fair in Itasca and uh, just had so much fun this weekend. Well, you got concerts and all sorts of other things going on, Steve. Uh, concert season is upon us. It's, there's there's so many things to do. Get out there. Get out there. Go and do something. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, sir, have been in, into the the multiverse, and you saw Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the sequel to the Spider-Man uh, Spider-Verse that came out a few years ago. Now, I've been really, really busy this week with work and a number of other things, so I didn't get the chance to go opening night, which is always super special. Um, but I did go to the Alamo Draft House. You know, not really a sponsor of us, Steve, but you know, that's where I'm going to movies. Yes. And I got to see um what was called a family show. Um, it was in the afternoon of a Saturday, and you show up, and this place is still packed. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why it's packed, because everyone was very excited. I had kids dressed up as Spider-Man. I had parents with their kids talking about this movie, um, and I had a lot of fun um, watching this film. This may have been the best film I've seen this year. Wow. Uh, The best film I've seen this year. I'm going to go ahead and just tell you, it was 75 out of 100. And I think what makes it so special is it is a modern story. This is not Chip being nostalgic. Okay. This is... Not made for me. This is made for young people. Um, this is made for those kids who grew up reading Miles Morales' as Spider-Man. And the music is geared toward them. Um, but there's all these beautiful, like, um, I don't know, Easter eggs thrown out there for those who have time to look and find them. So if you are a person that likes Spider-Man, boy, you're really going to like this. This is animation, as in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Our beginning part starts out with a a little story about um, Gwen Stacy, who is Mm Spider-Gwen, and then moves into the Miles Morales story and then the ultimate, um, the bigger story. There's going to be a part three to this story. Um, This is the second part. This is uh, could be the middle part. It could be just continuing of it. 
What I loved most about it was the color palette they had here. The color palette changes from world to world. So you're going to be jumping from Spider-Gwen's world to Miles Morales' world to any number of places that you're going to, to see. There's a, a Spider-Man from India. Very cool. Okay. Um, there's Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen. There is, eventually we get uh, the old Peter Parker, Steve. And I'm not going to be spoiling this film, but let's just say that we left him and he was going to be a father. He is a father here. Okay. And of course, he's doing all the dad stuff, which is so much fun. Yeah. We have Spider-Man uh, 2099, who's going to be part of this. And like I said, I'm not going to, to blow you away with spoilers on it. If you like Spider-Man, you're going to really, really love this film. Like I said, the color palette, the music selection, the um, how they present these worlds. Like Miles Morales' world has a look to it. Gwen um, uh, Stacy's world has a, has a look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, there's this is certainly a comic book movie in the sense there. Sometimes they'll flash words across the screen a little bit. When they switch places and they're introducing a new character, they'll throw down the comic book that that the character first appeared in. Sony really has done such a good job at putting together a story. And I, you know, throughout the story, this could get very confusing, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just kind of, you, you kind of absorb it. They take some things that could be difficult concepts and kind of break it down real quick. It's entertaining. It's funny. And like I said, they totally have set up part three. Mm. So um, that is next year. And I can't recommend this enough. Or if you like Spider-Man, go see this movie. Written by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I I love their style of of storytelling sounds to me like this is a great story with great visuals. Oh, this is visually just beautiful. And and what do you think comics are? It's a visual medium. Storytelling medium. Yeah, absolutely. I have been sitting around and watching stuff on TV. I got a chance to watch Smartless on the Road, which is on Max. You know, that that streaming service from formerly known as uh, HBO max formerly known as HBO, (laughs) you know, something that we would know. Right. Alphabet. No, (laughs) it's a different company. (laughs) Yes, that's right. When we talk about alphabet, the company that, um, you know, owns Google. Oh, I know what alphabet is now. Smartless is a podcast. Uh, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes come together and and are a part of our podcast family, talking about their life and how all the things that happen in their world affect everybody else. The three of them came together and did a whole tour across the country, 10 shows at six stops in 10 days in February of 2022. And this is the documentary of all of that activity, all of the movement of these three guys across the country, having so many stars as guests on their podcast on stage, live in front of sold out audiences across the country. So this is a six part series. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's on uh, Max. It's fun. 
this idea of podcasting, what we've been doing for going on eight years now is entertainment on a personal level. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes come together and chit chat with each other on a personal level for the entertainment of the audience. And there's a lot of people that are very entertained by uh, their, their gentle, friendly needling of each other. They are not kind to each other on stage sometimes. And the documentary of that comes out very nicely. They decided to release this in black and white, which is a very interesting choice to show. Uh, fascinating. Isn't it fascinating that they would choose that in 2023? Why? What is the artistic meaning of a black and white presentation of a group of people crisscrossing the country and sharing their voice with their audience? Uh, this is beautifully shot, well edited, very well edited. You could imagine what the raw footage of a 10 day tour would look like putting it together into six succinct episodes with a good monicum of storytelling. This came out very well. How long is the episode? It, they are one hour each, which is more than enough. Uh, a one hour podcast is more than enough. When our podcast goes over an hour, I start, I start going, we should, we should, we should take out a paragraph or two. <laughs> This works very well. I enjoy seeing these three men and seeing how they learn from each other day in and day out on this road trip across the country. Uh, David Letterman is one of the guests. He's phenomenal. He joins in with a little bit of the needling of these guys. Will Farrell comes out and is crazy and silly uh every episode has a special guest and uh i i think that we could do some very interesting road tripping with too much scrolling going across the country and selling out theaters like these three guys no. we all can dream steve steve you got to see a movie this week you got to see something on disney plus called crater Disney Plus is giving us all sorts of different types of entertainment. This one is kind of a throwback to those late 70s, early 80s kids shows. This is the story of a group of friends living on the moon in the year 2257. And these three kids, uh, they... They're going to be split up. They're going to go their different ways, and they're going to take one last road trip on the moon. Uh, road trip has certainly been a theme for me for the last few weeks, and a road trip on the moon, three kids in an adventure in hazardous situations. This was very entertaining, very good storytelling, including all of those Disney tropes. Uh, Dead Mother, of course, is one of the first features of a Disney movie. The idea of fitting in, finding a group of friends, finding the adventure, and learning from each other. Crater is a very good family movie. It's a short movie. It's, you know, a 90-minute tale of these kids getting lost on the moon and solving their problems. I, I suggest this one highly. So why did they release this movie on Disney plus and not in the theaters? I don't think that this is a theatrical style storytelling. This is a TV movie style storytelling. It is, it is a small adventure. I don't think that it would play well in the theaters. I think that this might be one of those stories that we wind up seeing in school 
but on a, a smaller screen is is the right is the right place for this story. I also got to see the big adventure of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. You, of course, reviewed this months ago when it was in the theaters. Now it's available on Paramount Plus. Uh, so I said to my wife, would you like to watch the Dungeons and Dragons movie? And she said, no. <laughs> I said, okay, it stars Chris Pine. So how about if we watch an episode of star Trek where captain Kirk is in the holodeck pretending to be in a, a, a fantasy adventure. She goes, okay, we can watch that. That's the way that I approach this. Chris Pine is just an amazing charismatic character. His face and his acting in dungeons and dragons honor among thieves is worth your time on paramount plus. You liked that one when you watched it in the theaters. I did. I thought it was okay. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun, silly, smile-inducing. The honest trailer for it actually opens with, what if a Dungeons & Dragons movie was actually good? Because Dungeons & Dragons has not translated well into movies in the past. This one, I suggest this one highly. You have gone to the theater in our Adventures in a Black Box segment. You saw 1776, the musical. Steve, when one goes to the theater, it is a reminder to always put away your phone. Because the guy sitting next to me decided he was going to check it, I don't know, every 15 minutes through the entire show. How lucky I was, Steve. We really have to remind people how to be an audience. There is, there's a post pandemic issue that I have with my students and with lots of people that we don't remember how to be in an audience together with other people and be considerate of others. Steve, um, he wasn't a student age and he wasn't my age. He was of a different demographic, but a much more mature demographic that seems to be very helpful. But he was still being selfish and checking his phone and not being respectful of your space and the flashlight that he was turning on in your eyes. Steve, retirement is very, very important. <laughs> He's an important man. So it's tell important about- things to do. Steve, our story is 1776, the musical. It is about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It was uh, originally released in 1969. There was a movie version of it in 1972. Our modern version of it has an all-female cast. Interesting. Interesting. Do you think that that all stems from Hamilton and and changing up the cast to to freshen up this story? I think so. I think I think that's exactly Hamilton's success changed theater mm-hmm. and, and and their choice in Hamilton to use basically an all-black cast. For um, to present this story of Alexander Hamilton was um, I mean, trying to take something that could look one way and making it more universal. Mm. Certainly, certainly uh, that. And I think that is the importance of 1776. And I think that was the director's way of renewing this story because the signing of, of the Declaration of Independence and the Declaration of Independence is a country or soon to be country establishing a philosophy that all humans are they're they're created equal and they should have every opportunity for you know success 
And uh, it was written incredibly elegantly mm-hmm. um, by this group of very smart people of their time. Um, but the challenge is, is that when you start looking, looking back of it, you certainly can pick apart. You know, if you're looking at it through today's eyes, you go, oh, um, they certainly didn't address slavery. Right. What just happened there? Well, guess what? It was debated on this. And uh, eventually, Benjamin Franklin comes to the conclusion, this is a document about independence. We can't address this here. And and part of it is because South Carolina had um, a big voice and was very powerful at the time. They basically uh, could could control three states, Georgia and North Carolina being the other two. we have John Adams, which, you know, the famous line in this whole musical is, sit down, John. Um, if you've seen uh, Tom Hanks and Playtone's HBO series, John Adams, you recognize that John Adams was um, very bright and certainly knew how to rub people the wrong way. And, the, oh, this whole musical is about John. This could be the John Adams musical in many ways because he is always portrayed uh, as this person who is like, I could do that, but you know, everybody just says for me to sit down because he's just he's loud, he's smart, he's he's uh, boastful. He is our second president, um, so he is an incredibly uh, an incredible person to be part of this. But you know, the, the incredible person to be part of it is not always the person to deliver it. Hmm. Um, Henry Lee is part of this. Um, the lady who played Henry Lee certainly had a very um, mastered the the um, the Southern accent. Uh, she probably went to the Dick Van Dyke School of Southern Ac- uh, of accents, and really, I'm sure worked with him diligently. And he goes, "If I can do Cockney, you can do a Southern accent," and she did. She did a marvelous job. Um, She's from Wisconsin. <laughs> No, no, it's it's just a very over the top uh, southern accent. Okay. I'm, I'm 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 playing with her. She 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 did wonderfully. Okay, uh, all these. All, in fact, the cast is great in this. There's fun. There's um, it's very fun. They're playful with each other. The songs are fine. There's nothing really memorable in these songs. Um, but I will just mention that this is a musical with like a play in between the songs. Mm-hmm. And it can get slow. Very 1969, very 1972 with the film version, with that style of storytelling and that musical style. Well, it may have been written back then. They've tried to make the music more contemporary, and they've they've succeeded doing that. But there's not a memorable song that I can think of, other than maybe Sit Down John, but certainly... You're not going to go and see the latest crooner over at the jazz club, Steve, as you do so often. And they're going like, hey, back in 1969, there was this musical, 1776. Let me sing this, you know, I want song or something like that. Yeah, there's not going to be anything like that. I'll say 60 out of 100 for (laughs) the presentation. The people there enjoyed it quite a bit. This was one of my favorite musicals as far as the ticket package. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be downloading the soundtrack to listen to it all the time. It's one of those things where I just went through it. I will tell you, the couple that sat next to me, this was their second time seeing this production. As in, they have seen it some other time during the week, hmm. too. 
Um, and they've seen this musical many times. Uh, and that's because this person was uh, a revolutionary war buff, um, loved General Washington, and certainly was a fun person to, to talk to. Um, I don't know if you know this, Steve. I talk to people around me. I, I do know that you talk to people. As as much as I talk to people going around to different places over the weekend, you tend to find friends, new friends. You're like a kindergartner, finding new friends wherever you sit down. You remember uh, John Mulaney's um, comedy routine where his wife is um, making fun of him. Uh, and basically, uh, John Mulaney said his wife could walk through, um, it's the wife at the time, could walk through and she doesn't care. Like, get out of my way. But um, she says of John, she goes, John, you're like running to be the mayor of nothing. <laughs> so you you met the George Washington buff. You met the all of these fun people and have experience with this show. Deepak is a good place to see uh, musicals. Certainly, it, we always get the traveling ones here. Um, unlike Chicago, where you can get you know some first productions maybe before they go to broadway right um, those test audiences i love seeing those in chicago when when mm -hmm. we get to see those musicals that are not quite finished not quite ready for broadway and we are the ones that get to go you know that song maybe you should cut that song and that song gets cut i, I love that process I, I think that's that's why it's special to live in a mega city mm -hmm. or so, near one yeah well, the beauty is, is that we have access to the arts. Mm -hmm. It's those, you know, where you can really be part of the creative process where it gets kind of exciting. So of my package that I got with all the musicals on them, 1776 is certainly one of the better ones. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Brings us to our book at our book of the week. I I have been struggling with books this week, and I've started several books and put them down. You have brought us a book called Tabletop Gaming Manual, a guide to the diverse world of modern tabletop games. This was published in 2018, written by Matt Thrower. Tell us about this one. This may have been a Kickstarter um, project. As in, Matt has had a blog and a number of things, certainly talking about games. Um, and I really enjoyed this. This is kind of that book you kind of keep on the tabletop. Not a tabletop book, but just a book that, that you can, if you got a few minutes, you can browse through it. You can read a little bit about it. You, it's just not a beginning to the end. But this is sort of a history. It starts off with a history of gaming. Hmm. And so if you've ever played dice or cards or um i don't know any of the games you can think of the really really old games backgammon is one of the original uh games from I persia from persia from, from iran that's where they think it's from i had a period of time where i played backgammon a lot backgammon is a simple enough game that you can pick up really quickly and and have you know a, an hour of fun thinking through the strategy of backgammon and backgammon and checkers and chess seem to be great you know public type of of games you can go to the local coffee house you can go down to the park you can throw it out 
And even if you were by yourself, you could teach a person maybe how to play that game. Back to that becoming the mayor of nothing, finding those connections, finding those strangers, having those moments. Tabletop gaming can be that piece that adds to that conversation. I mentioned a few episodes ago uh, during Easter, my um, I'll call her my niece, but uh, she came up to me and, and for, for young kids, chess is kind of a big deal right now. Mm-hmm. And she brought out her chessboard and set it up and said, will you teach me how to, do, to play? And I will be honest with you, I am an amateur, but I know all the moves that mm-hmm. the, the, I shouldn't say all the moves. I know many of the moves. I know a basic strategy on yeah. how to put together a game. And as you're learning a game, you know, you can read about it or you can have someone kind of show you some stuff. A person, in fact, I had that conversation this week about Google Docs. I could sit down within an hour. I could show you almost everything you need to know about Google Docs. Not the most advanced stuff. Right. But you'll have enough of a knowledge, enough knowledge of the process to go, oh, yeah, I can use this. This can be beneficial. I can see how this can be useful. Tabletop gaming can be that beneficial tool to help all sorts of situations. We've talked so many times about the community building that can start around a board game. And so we move from there to board games because, you know, we've we've talked a little bit about beginning games and we get sort of a history of board games. And, uh, you know, eventually it comes up that all those games that maybe you had when you were a young kid, mm-hmm. you know, you played Sorry and Aggravation and Mastermind and all those types of things. Those are, um, And then, you know, you move to more advanced games like Risk and uh, Stra- um, Stratego. And- Stratego! <laughs> but there, you know the games that last. Mm-hmm. Like, you can play Clue today. And most people would find there's some enjoyment to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe sorry would be a, a one that, you know, you play with young people. I don't know if if advanced people are like the advanced people, sorry tournament. I don't know if it's going to be that type of uh, game. Sure. But I, yeah, mastermind seems like it would be a good game to play because, you know, guess my pegs or whatever it is at that. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of memory, uh, remembering this correctly. Mm-hmm. Eventually you move to card games. You have role-playing games. I mean, role-playing is really important, Steve, especially for advanced uh, marriages. <laughs> We've talked a lot about Dungeons & Dragons, my friend. The role-playing games that I'm thinking of might be different from the ones that you're talking about, but it's it's kind of a society, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and you know, eventually there's, you know, for those people who get more advanced gaming, Mm-hmm. You know, Dungeons and Dragons came out, and we've been to those um, conventions where we met a lot of the people who are the original writers of that. But, you know, where eventually they start putting together tables where they map out, like, how you're doing this. And um, you maybe you do it on a piece of, uh, of paper. But eventually they start making little teeny um, tokens that are, this is a soldier, and this is this and that. Yeah, the war the- people and the miniatures, we get into all of that culture of all of the the devotion to the tiny little paintings that they are making, that artistry of creating those miniatures. And how you know it's made it is because your city 
may have one or more. In fact, there was a chain at one time, miniature um, gaming stores. Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of pop culture, um, you, you used to call them comic stores and stuff like that, may have a gaming section. Agreed. But there are other just games game stores that just kind of exist. And then, you know, you have all those things you can do it uh, to to make it more exciting. And I think when you start moving towards those role-playing games, you start moving towards your imagination and you becoming the presenter, you know, that Dragon Master. I'm using Dungeons & Dragons because many people are aware of that maybe more than others. Mm-hmm. But that person makes the game come alive. Like you're entering this room and it's, you know, it's dark and there's there's a fire over in the corner. And that person is kind of creating the ambiance. And then, you know, what do you get? You get the characters who start making their moves. They're going to go explore the fire or explore over here that you know, maybe there's, I'm going to feel against the walls to see if there's anything going on. Or I'm going to look up and see what that stained glass window really says, or if, it's, if there's something important about it. There's um, so much to that that community storytelling, that old-fashioned sitting around the fire telling stories that we are then using the the world to explain our humanity. There's so much going on there. There's the gambling part of it, too. I mean, people go to Vegas or go to casinos and stuff like that, and they're playing. Those are games. Correct. And so those are part of the history of gaming also. Um, I I truly, you know, how to store your models, how to store your games, and then just basically how to have fun. And you're it just is not you just just not JD's attic full of games because JD has a full attic that is full full of games and most of those are from kickstarter that is the modern piece of this conversation is how many of these games are being crowdfunded people are creating these amazing worlds and and simulations <laughs> simulations and there's a, a whole group of people that are funding these things so and i mentioned two things that are related but not part of this book do you remember we went to the dr who convention we interviewed the um was he a dean over at the milwaukee uh engineering school up in milwaukee yes the the professor who runs the gaming group at the university of milwaukee a fantastic guy who just gives and gives to the community of gamers all right so remember those are engineering students right Mm -hmm. okay so but the, the point is is every group every person needs to find their tribe and to make sure students' experiences are um, not only are they working hard and learning and things like that, but they have a social outlet too. Games become part of that. All right. And I also, this um, semester, spent some time over at NC State University, um, over in their, not the cafeteria area, but people study there. They they grab food and bring it over. Study groups um, would hang out. But also, people play games. And I walked by and there was, I don't know, like 10 kids. They've got this big pile of games over. They've got a few of them on the tables because there's big tables and they're playing. This is sort of their way to unwind. It's Friday afternoon. We've worked hard all week. Let's play some games and have some fun. Yeah. Um, So part of this book is something called Maths, Steve. That was with an S. 
with an S yes. because they're British. This is probably Here, British, yeah. In the United States, we have one math, but over there, they split them up into multiple maths. Which is probably the right choice, but but we just call it math and, and call it all, all of the numbers. We'll put the numbers things over here. Exactly. Steve, <laughs> you know, they use metric, we use imperial. Why not? As long as we're using some sort of measurement. How many? That's, that's a big sun. How many penguins could fit in that sun? But think about what many of these games, you know, when you're playing like a role-playing game, many times you have multiple dice. Mm-hmm. and you're rolling those. Um, many games can be brought down to probability. So you can think about things as, as probability. So for young people or people who struggle to think about things in scientific terms, using imagination, using your um, game-playing skill, you can, you can learn mm-hmm. math without thinking of it as math. You know, I need to, to figure out how this works and I've got to multiply these two numbers together or any number of things. I, I play um, through the uh, arcade games, through Apple Arcade. I play a chess game. Hmm. And the beauty is you can see that you have, you have guided chess. So when I said that I play chess, I, I play chess okay. Yeah, as a truly as a beginner. Now, I can win games once in a while. I certainly have a little bit of strategy. But if, as I refine that, that takes effort. So they have a guided um, game that you can play, the computer, and they'll help you. And you can see the probabilities going on underneath in that app. Nice. Because what's happening is they're kind of moving these arrows all around, and then they're giving you stronger place so you can move your stuff someplace and they'll give you a little bit of guidance on like you know is this a stronger game or i mean a starting move or not and, and later on you can actually have it reviewed for you so once again you, you what am i doing i'm i'm learning a game i'm i'm learning how to become a stronger player and i'm learning probabilities at the same time i'm using the science underneath it and How about working, that? And working with AI. Well, you know, they're pretty amazing. Would you like it, to play a game? They're, they're going to be our overlords one day, Steve. Oh, boy. So this sounds like an interesting view, overview, long view of tabletop games from the beginnings to the current era. Do you suggest this one to, to people? Yeah, I, I think what I like most about it is... You know, you, you work during the day and you want to take a little break, pick up, you can read a few pages of it and just kind of, it's, it's very enjoyable. Um, I, I, I don't think that, um, you're going to become a better game person because of reading it. I think you're going to learn a little bit about how to be a better game person and how to think about games, uh, from a historical, uh, level and, and, um, how, how to refine your, your love of games or whether you even love games because I'm a person who has a collection of games. I play them sometimes, especially during the holidays and stuff like that. But I, I didn't sit down to read this from page one to the end. I, I, I bought this to peruse it as, um, as a casual read. It's interesting to think about 
you as a historian looking at this and knowing, having that knowledge to be able to share that with others? I think that that might be the thing that, that you like about this book. After COVID, I can't stress enough how much we need connection to other people. Mm-hmm. And people have different abilities. And, you know, some people can go for a 20-mile hike with you, while others could sit down and play games with you. Mm-hmm. Mental health improves through human connection. And I, I, that's what we need more of. As you see the bad things going on in the world, the things that you wish you could improve upon, many of them could have been prevented if they had human connection. A little more in a positive way. Yeah. A little more, little more ability to communicate with each other for sure. Steve, um, if I had feelings, I'd probably look for, uh, you know, maybe some kind of tissue to wipe my eyes when I said that. The most emotional book that you've read this year, Tabletop Gaming Manual, A Guide to the Diverse World of Modern Tabletop Games, published in 2018 by Matt Thrower. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of them. Uh, there's a new letter out there, Chip. Hundreds of industry leaders signed a letter cautioning humanity about AI. Welcome to 2023 and our robot overlords telling us what to know. <laughs> well, that's there's a, there's a point to this. Mm-hmm. You know, humans are incredibly intuitive. And you could see where if you don't know where a number goes and you're just following blindly, this is the, this is the challenge of schooling right now. Yes. Um, if you, you know, all of a sudden, you know, um, you're flying a spaceship, we're going to Mars and a number comes up and AI moves us to it. But if we don't know how to interpret whether that we could be really off. Yeah. That could be really off. And there's the danger that we're worried about is that AI could be leading us down a bad path. Mm-hmm. Now, the the challenge with that is AI, our human experience on how we view reality, is also um, we we have judgments, we we miss information that's important, so it could steer us into the right course. True. So and here, I mean, just think think about your weight. There's a good thing that I that I as a certain age we kind of fluctuate quite a bit. And what what goes on? Well, you if you follow the diet the AI overlord gave you, you'd be very healthy, right? Or I'm sorry, your chances of being healthy Maybe. improve uh, tremendously. But if you um, you're going to wing it, well, my job is you know that's what I do. And so some weeks I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm losing weight like crazy. I'm, I'm healthy. There are other weeks where I, I didn't really follow um, what I, in my mind, I know is the right thing to do. And as we've talked about so many times, we work on imperfect information. We never have all the information. We are only we only know what we know. The AI only knows what it knows. And we, we never know what information is going into the AI to get that answer. All right. And, and, you know, as we go down this deep dive, because you're absolutely correct on this, um, 
your your um, computers are stupid. Mm-hmm. They're only working off the data that we have. If we have the wrong data or incomplete data or not enough data, blah blah blah, we could be they could using be something that's very very wrong. Mm-hmm. Yet when it's reported in the news, it is like the most concrete information ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's you know once again this this becomes an awareness moment of like oh they could be helpful. They could be harmful, and what we're learning is that people who are very thoughtful on these things want you to know that you should use caution when you're using AI. And you brought up education. That's where my students are right now. They are actively checking Google, and when Google gives them an answer, that is the answer. And sometimes the data that they are pulling is incomplete, incorrect data, and they don't know it. And then the next step is they don't care if the data is accurate or not. This is the answer. It was delivered to me from this source that I trust, and I believe this to be true, even in the face of opposition, when I can show them evidence that it is incomplete data, incorrect data. Well, my friend, you've just entered the world of economics because that is what we're dealing with right now is we have a group of people that somehow feel like they have all knowledge Mm -hmm. or think they have most of the knowledge and they just think another group is just incomplete. And then there's the group that I follow under that certainly um, challenges that, that notion and that we recognize each individual makes an action. And as a group, we may be able to follow some of those um, trends and some of those ideas. But, you know, humans are imperfect. They tend to make decisions that they feel at the time are in their best interest. Hmm. And if you're dealing with people who don't care, well, there's where the danger comes in, because you really can harm people tremendously. AI is not going to be able to solve everything. AI is a tool to help us take complex information and maybe tighten up our decisions, Mm -hmm. but we still need a good philosophy behind it. So anyway, I I find this, uh, I find this, this is going to be fascinating. Mm -hmm. This is going to be part of our life of the, well, at least as it's presented here for the next 10 years or so, it'll have its its latest version of it some future time. But ultimately, these are models that are um, taking the who that are learning at an exponentially fast level. And the exponential part is is frightening. And that's where this letter comes in is the idea of we need to be wary and we need to be cautious and we need to be thoughtful in what we are doing with this information from AI. Exterminate. <laughs> now the Daleks are not robots. They are creatures that have armor. So that's that's not AI, sir. Oh, you you just gave me a geek test, didn't you? They're the Cylons. Gra- the Cylons. No, the, the, that started with humans and humanity as well. And, oh. they, and they and they took away part of their ability to judge other parts. They they are, but they have yes. A- they well, they tell us they have a plan, Steve. It's maybe they'll they maybe they'll meander through that for a few seasons and then end in a you know kind of a crazy way. 
Speaking of ending, Billy Joel is ending his Madison Square Garden residency in 2024, his 150th lifetime performance. He's been there for 10 years at Madison Square Garden, giving us beautiful music. He's 75? He's, he says, I'm 74 now. I'll be 75 next year. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing, Steve? It, it is but, absolutely amazing to think about that generation and how much energy they still have at that age. You can still be president at 75. Well, at least we're going to find out, Steve. <laughs> um, my, the point of this, though, is that, you know, he's, he's grown up with us. And that's the, the whole point. Time marches on. Yeah. And as our kids get older, as things change... It's just really, it's kind of hard to believe how quickly it's, it feels like it has happened. He's not an angry young man anymore, huh? He isn't, Steve. He isn't an angry young man. He's not sitting in a bar playing songs. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, we, I have definitely grown up with Billy Joel. Billy Joel has been a big part of my musical knowledge for my entire life. And I admire his ability to create stories back again to storytelling. He is a storyteller that just happens to do it with music. And we certainly enjoyed um, the Uptown Girl, Steve. That's a story. That's a story about meeting his wife for a very, very short amount of time. And and wooing she, she had she had other husbands she needed to have, Steve. He had other wives that he needed to have as well. But the the beautiful story of life, Billy Joel's music is that story. Uh, that's why I love the Billy Joel musical moving out, even though that story is told with the music and no dialogue on the stage. It's all a ballet. I still love it because of that storytelling that he was able to give us. So wise. Be careful what you throw in glass houses, Steve. And watch out for the turnstiles. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next uh, week, Steve. And maybe we can be at Madison Square Garden for the next 10 years. Uh, yes. Let's go on the road and, and wind up at Madison Square Garden for 10 years. I, I endorse this plan. Uh, let's ask AI to make that happen. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-410-4TMS. Our website is TooMuchScrolling.com. Our email is TooMuchScrolling at gmail.com. We're still on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflow. We'll see you in the future. 